out there, all you overachieving Okapi. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I'm joined by Casey, as always. Hello, Casey. It is wonderful to see you. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm okay, and it's World Okapi Day when we're recording this, hence the animal. And if you don't know what an okapi is, don't worry about it. We didn't either until a little over 100 years ago, but look it up because they're super cute. Oh, they're so cool. There's a picture going around of a leukistic okapi. I haven't seen that yet. I believe Joel Sartori. Sartori, yeah. Yep, thank you. Um, Took it. And so if you don't know what leukistic means, it basically means a lot of the animals that you think of as albino are actually leukistic where they just lack the gene that allows them to have melanin, but they don't generally have like red eyes. They'll have blue eyes instead. So that's a very unscientific way to say it. (laughs) This baby okapi is super cute. (laughs) And very different than what an okapi would normally look like. So yeah, look them up. Okapi. Very cool. Sarah, how was your week? Did you do any homework? I sure didn't. Uh, I can't even remember again what we talked about. We did nuclear. We did nuclear energy. That's right. So it was another one of those where I had largely done the homework in the process of preparing for the episode. I do feel like I did reflect on it a lot after we talked about it. I don't know that I have any major breakthroughs other than I feel like I am more accepting of nuclear power and the risks of say the actual power plants i do feel like it equates maybe a little bit to my fear of flying in that respect that the things that we're worried about really are very unlikely things to happen but i still have a lot of questions about the the front end of it and the sort of how how we're getting the materials i think is is where i landed and i'm seeing so much just every time i pull up google on my phone now it pops up with all of these articles about nuclear power so there will be more to come yeah i didn't do a lot of extra reading because that was one of our homeworks but i did find some facebook posts when they were building our nuclear power plant i think in the 80s they found dinosaur fossils while they were excavating the sign. Yeah. So they found um, some footprints and things like that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I think I, I, reflecting a little bit on it, I think I'm about in the same place, which is, I think that it's probably an important part of our future. I get frustrated when sometimes there's a, a genre of guy who spends too much time on the internet, who's like, nuclear's the only solution out there which really I think is a a way of opting out of the conversations of like opting out of fossil fuels towards renewable energy because there are lots of other options other than nuclear. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next five, 10 years with the energy composition in the US. So maybe we'll have more nuclear power plants around. Yeah. And just to throw it out there too, if you haven't looked or if you are, you know, just sort of get our episodes downloaded to wherever you listen from, do click on the actual episode i don't know how all of this works i don't listen to podcasts that often but you can go and see our actual our episode description and all of that because there is really a lot of good information out there so there are several websites and articles that are linked in the show notes in addition to the ones that we talked about for your challenge for the week that i i would just strongly suggest checking out if you're interested at all in nuclear power and what goes into it 
Yeah. And if you're ever wondering where we get our information that we talk about, except for those times that I go like, I think this is real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We provide the links to our resources in our show notes. So check out those articles if you ever want to read more or see where we got particular statistics from. Sarah, we're pivoting hard this week. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm excited for what we're talking about. So I wasn't sure exactly what to do, but then news broke a couple weeks ago about a very popular company called Patagonia, not the place, the (laughs) company, due to an unprecedented change basically in their business model. And long story short, they basically donated most of their business and profits to a newly formed nonprofit. And so all profits from the company that are not like reinvested back into the company will be going to protect the planet. So there was lots of headlines around. So I wanted to break down that decision today, but also talk about Patagonia as a brand. Like this is not an endorsement episode of Patagonia. I don't own any Patagonia things because they're very expensive, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is something we can talk about because there's, there's a probably a two-pronged reason why they're so expensive. But I did want to talk a little bit about them as an ethical corporation, both like what they are and what they aren't, and use some of the things we learn about them to apply to other companies when we're looking at sustainability claims. So Sarah, my question for you this week was, could you please tell us about the last winter jacket purchase that you made? Because sure. I think I was there for it. <laughs> yeah, it was. You might probably remember it better than I do, but yes, it was when I moved back up to Indiana five years ago, and I didn't have any winter clothes anymore. And then it was getting cold, and I was like, "Hey, I need a coat like right now." And so this is this is how not to buy a coat. I didn't do any of the things. I didn't look for any of the things that we're going to talk about in tonight's episode. My goals were to have something that would keep me warm because anybody that knows me knows that I'm just cold all the time. I wear sweatshirts to work every day, even living in Florida. So I knew that I needed something that was going to keep me warm. I needed it to be fairly neutral for the job that we worked at. And I needed it fast and I needed it to be affordable. (laughs) And that is my recollection. And I'm pretty sure that I just got on the internet and Googled cheap warm coats (laughs) until I found something that had good reviews and was accessible to me. So I didn't look into the sustainability side of it at all, but I do still have it. It worked. It fit. It was warm. It did the job that I needed it to do and I still own it. So there you go. I think that's something that winter coats have different than a lot of other clothing items is I think most people keep their winter coats season after season versus a lot of other articles of clothing. Maybe that's just the way I grew up yeah, and operate in my life. I'm currently wearing my winter coat because I'm Oh, cold. you are? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, not just for the show. That's no. not, you're not just on theme right now. Growing up, my mom would always buy us like a coat that was maybe two or three sizes too big so that we could wear it as growing children throughout several years. And we always got like a L.L. Bean or Land's and okay, I had yeah. a- 
my sister had purple and I had red and that was like, it didn't even feel like a choice uh, by the time I was like in high school. It was just like, nope, I have a big red coat. Um, and then when I was in college, the coat I'm wearing right now, I had asked my parents if I could have a winter coat that wasn't so like mine were never puffy, but they were yeah. big and yeah. heavy and like unwieldy and going to Quidditch tournaments. It was really yeah. hard to like lug around 10 pounds of coat. So they got me this, this one that I have had since like 2014. And well done. Yes. I love it. And I will probably keep wearing it till it dies, but it, it is soft and light, but I don't, I don't think that sustainability and clothing was really even on my radar, even in college as an environmental studies major. So, um, that wasn't something that was a qualification that I had asked for. So now looking in the future, I'll probably think about things like that. However, budget always will be part of that equation. So we're going to talk about Patagonia today because they make lots of coats and lots of other winter things. So stick around and we'll talk about it. So Sarah, we talking before this episode, you had mentioned that business is like an intimidating topic for you. Can you talk more about that? Well, I just feel like it's one of those things that I, it's just another world to me. You know, I've always been in this sort of animal field, so I never really had a, a standard office job. I never learned any of the business types of things. The stock market is a mystery to me. So I don't understand like this idea of public shareholders in your company and how that works. And there's, there's public companies and there's private companies, like all of that business stuff. It just feels like a foreign language to me. I, as I was telling you, Casey, in the same way that politics sort of feels like a foreign language to me, it just feels like it's over my head. Sometimes it's just a big world that I've never been a part of, I feel, although I, I work for a, a large company, right. but uh, just sort of on that business end of things, it's not a world that I've ever been a part of. It feels all of that sort of financial aspect is, is a nebulous thing for me. Oh, I think like all of us interact pretty intimately with corporations mm-hmm. many times a day. We purchase their products, we consume their advertising. Most of us work for some sort of business, whether it's small or large. And I agree, especially once you try and start digging in on some of these issues, financial is sort of something I have to rely on other people's sources to figure out. Mm -hmm. Um, But even when you start to go into the sustainability aspect and go into the supply chains and what's actually feasible and then labor rights, all of it becomes very complicated. And there's a big tension between corporations and the environment. And I think it's because the goal of the capitalistic endeavor is typically defined by growth. Like we need to grow the business. If your business is doing well, how can you make it do better? Right. Yeah. Like if you start anything, you want to be successful. And if you start a business, you feel like, yes, it should grow. Right. And like, I think sometimes if you're really involved in that world, growth 
is just the equivalent of good. And there's some good things about growing your company. You can employ more people. You can have more resources to have better systems by having a larger company. Um, But almost always growth is then tied to your customers consuming more. Right. Um, it, it means more resources and then it gets even more complicated when you start to add in things like shareholders with companies that have stocks where you have an obligation, not just to the way you'd like to run the business, but also making money for the people who have invested in your company. Right. And we've talked about it many times. The environmental aspect doesn't necessarily get valued in, even though those, the, the things like, for example, if you pollute, there is a cost to the environment and the cost to clean it up, but that's not always on the company to do that. So if they're not experiencing the cost element of that and that valuation, then all of a sudden it's just like, uh, (laughs) if it costs more to clean it up and it's not our job, then that's not really as important as making sure we report back good numbers. Right. We've talked about those like producer responsibility laws and, and things like that in past episodes. Right. So how do you make a business successful, which often is equivalent to selling more stuff and claim to be a business that protects the environment. I think Patagonia is probably the corporation at least that has the best PR when it comes to this relationship. Yeah. It's certainly one of the top ones that would come to my mind, and I mean, you say that's pure. I, I we'll talk about this, but I think that they have done a really good job too of this over the years, and we'll talk about the ways that they do this. But yeah, I think if you had to ask people to name some brands that were associated with uh, positive environmental images, I think Patagonia would would be one that comes out on top for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like with the caveat, at least at the beginning, the caveat that this is a business that is operating in an economy, (laughs) Um, as vague as those words are, they do a really good job walking the walk Mm -hmm. when it comes to the environment. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. So I guess something we should probably talk about first is greenwashing. Mm. Yeah. In businesses, lots of businesses make claims that they are environmentally friendly in one way or another. Do you know what greenwashing is? I would say greenwashing is, it can be making those claims without having anything to back it up. It's, I would think of it more as trying to, to make it look like you are committed to the environment without necessarily doing anything. So it is talking to talk without walking the walk at all, potentially, or at least with not having any sort of a verifiable standards. And I think even if it's so it sometimes is actually making claims, I would argue that sometimes it's even just trying to craft that image. So maybe you have (laughs) you have like plants on your packaging or like we love the earth or whatever, you know, like it just whether it's the imaging or just something like that. I would consider that greenwashing myself as well, even if you're not making any specific claim, though it's just sort of subtle, like trying to get people's minds thinking, oh, green, like it's, they must be eco-friendly or or whatever. Uh, All of that falls under greenwashing. 
Yeah, I think that's where the term sort of comes from is that visually changing your marketing and packaging to evoke to the customer (laughs) some sort of responsibility for nature. (laughs) Thank you. That's a much clearer way of saying what I was trying to say there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and you will see a lot of words thrown around like all natural, sustainable. Mm -hmm. And these are like really squishy words. There's no, there's no, what are you comparing it to? In in what way are you sustainable? How, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and these claims can also come like very much out of context. So I think of like toilet paper companies where they were like, well, for every tree we knock down, we plant this many more, which can make you feel good, but takes out of context that the trees that they're cutting down are mature trees and they don't have the same value as three trees planted. And like, let alone the biodiversity impacts and all of that sort of stuff. So it really is a marketing technique to try and get people to believe and feel good about what they're doing. And therefore it also has this tangential side effect of making me feel absolutely cynical about every single company that ever makes a claim about the environment. I don't know if you remember back when we first started the podcast, I talked about the leaf razor that I finally committed to and bought and I still love, but it took me so long of like staring at that company being like, okay, what's wrong with you? Like what horrible (laughs) things are you hiding? Are you, and I'm not saying they're perfect by any means, but you know what I mean? Like, are are these claims verifiable are these companies actually doing anything so it does make me second guess literally every company that claims to be environmentally friendly in any way i think about fast fashion all the time you'll see them be like this was produced with less water waste or like even vegan leather which to you know you'll think oh good no animals died is made out of fossil fuels so like (laughs) one trades off for another i was going to do an episode on greenwashing but it literally made me too depressed to, I was like, I can't put this out there. It's just going to make everybody hopeless. <laughs> yeah. And this, I mean, hopefully this will tie into what we're yes. going to talk about here later too. But I do think the thing to keep in mind when, as we're saying things like this is like, like we're saying no company is perfect. So just because a company claims to be one thing, it's not out of the realm of possibility or it's not wrong for it to have some other environmental impact. It's just a matter of these companies that, that make these claims without backing it up basically. Right. You need substance and context and all actual evidence going your way. So that actually brings us to Patagonia. Um, I come into every sort of situation like you with a skeptical mind of whether or not this is actually really so good for the environment but i was really pleasantly like surprised by what i found on their website and so i wanted to go through some of the things that they talk about on their website that i do a little bit more research on that i think you can use as a consumer to look for these aspects in other companies to find more verifiable claims so instead of something saying sustainable Like, what is it certified by? What element is actually sustainable? And first, if you go to Patagonia's website, Sarah, why don't we do that together? Do you think you can get on Patagonia's website? I sure can. It's patagonia.com. Yes, I'm there. (laughs) Excellent. So what do you see when you get on their website? Uh, Oh, well, I see an offer for free shipping. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) popped up on my screen. Well, the big thing on their website right now is what we're going to talk about. So they have this, the information 
from the owner, Yvonne Chouinard, about Earth being their only shareholder. But there's lots of images. There's lots of outdoor environmental backing to Mm -hmm. every category that they have. They have different categories. Like they have activism as one of their initial drop down memories, memories, menus on the top of the screen here, too. Yeah, if a company, so if you're not familiar with Patagonia, they make outdoor supplies. The founder was a rock climber. And so Mm -hmm. he's been um, doing this for like 50 years. I think the first thing when you're looking at a website for a company that's claiming to be eco-friendly, I think it's not nothing to have space on your website that is really talking about what your efforts are. It's not something you really have to search for in Patagonia. You just have to go to their main page and you will be able to find some stuff in there about the environment. Um, So some elements of their business that you can find is actually they have a shop that they will resell in good condition Patagonia gear. So they have like a used store that's part of their website, which is pretty cool. They have resources on here that talk about how to repair your gear. Love that. Right. So that starts already with this conversation of if this business's model was to make everyone consume more, like a fast fashion company, which we've talked about before, fast fashion makes very cheap products that fall apart very quickly. (laughs) And so you're going to have to replace it again and consume more. For Patagonia, that's not really what they seem to be trying to have you do. They're actually trying to make you extend the life of their products. And they had a very famous ad that read something like, don't buy this coat with like Mm -hmm. a picture of their coat on it, which was basically saying, hey, don't just buy new things to buy new things, repair it, love it, wear it forever. And then when it's time, come back. Right. And you can click right on here. It has that right on the top too, is their worn wear section. And it when you click on that, it pops up with a little tab that says what's cool about used reusing a, a garment instead of buying new cuts carbon emissions by 51%. So they're letting you know, like, this is why we're doing it. And yeah, I, re- I remember that campaign a little bit. I do feel like it might be easy for somebody to be cynical about it and say, well, they're just doing that to sound good because then people who want to act like they care about the environment are going to go buy their stuff and spend more money, blah, blah, blah. And I would argue that, okay, even if it does that, so if, you know, if people by running this ad saying don't buy this coat encourages (laughs) environmentally minded people to buy the coat if they need a coat, hopefully they actually need a coat, that they are still as we're going to talk about supporting a company that is doing good for the planet as well versus a fast fashion situation. Right. We have talked about how as humans, we have to consume, right? Like that's being alive. We can't feel guilty for consuming things Mm -hmm. that we need. It is a remarkable thing for a corporation to openly confront the consumption culture that it is really part of in a way. And it's spin. It is also spin. Like it is also this company continuing to brand itself as an environmental company. But I think that's worse (laughs) if they didn't actually have anything to back it up. Exactly. Yes. They have to, they have to advertise. They have to do the things corporations do, but 
if we're going to have to have a coat factory, I'd rather have this sort of coat factory. That being said, I saw some different comparison charts. Patagonia is by far the most expensive of the major brands of coats out there of like winter gear. So comparing North Face, Columbia, things like that, they have a higher price point. I actually, I didn't realize that I would have guessed them to be all in a very similar. North Face is like next level down. Columbia, hi, that's my jacket is, is like <laughs> the, the article I was reading about that was basically arguing that that Columbia doesn't try and make any, like North Face will try and make some of these claims that they too are environmentally friended or friendly. Columbia doesn't try as hard to make those claims, but they have their niche in the fact that they're more affordable. So does Patagonia benefit in that people can maybe feel good about purchasing a more expensive jacket because they feel like they're supporting the good guys. Sure. Does it probably cost more to have a traceable supply chain? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So both things can be true at the same time. Yeah. I think it's important to like allow those, both of those to hang in the air and say yes to both. (laughs) Yes. I feel like people are not generally necessarily very good at that. And I think it is a really important Thing to do that to recognize that both of those things in in lots of different situations can be true right we two things can be true at the same time so looking at some once you d- deep dive into their website they're going to tell you all about their supply chain they're going to tell you about the materials they use they're going to tell you about their charitable contributions their climate goals all sorts of stuff that are very prominent on their website compared to a lot of other companies. So again, I think that that's important because as a consumer, when you're navigating, looking for coats, you're going to come across issues that you might not be initially thinking about when you're looking for coats. You might not be thinking about what are the carbon emissions associated with this coat? What are, what are the, uh, where was my money going to? And so I think that that, that doesn't count for nothing. Um, so looking at some of the things that Patagonia is, is first, they are a B Corp. Sarah, do you know what a B Corp is? I it's a a term that I'm certainly familiar with that I sort of just vaguely knew for a while as a thing that yeah might be a good thing to look for <laughs> in companies that I bought or that I purchased from. I don't know down to the very specifics, but I know it's kind of an application process that they can go through to cert to certify different companies that environmental impact is part of it. I was actually on the website and just kind of searching for things randomly to see what kind of brands popped up that I recognized. And you can actually go through and see their scores, their sort of B Corp certification scorecards, if you will, to see how they ranked in different areas, including environment, as well as uh, like social impact and that sort of thing. So it's not just an environmental certification, but it includes the environment in it. Yeah, I feel like general ethics is like Mm -hmm. part of the the real code of B Corp. So it is a voluntary certification that comes from a third party called B Lab. So the companies themselves cannot be like, I am a B Corp. Like this this (laughs) process actually has to look at their business practices. Right. And that's just that's what we're talking about with that's what greenwashing is, is to just say, I do this without so that B Corp certification is letting you know this was an outside party. We're telling you that this company does this. Right. Sarah and I have talked about how we've worked in zoos before. For zoos, our third party accreditation, like the highest level typically is considered the association of zoos and aquariums. And that's often 
when someone asks me, well, should I go to this zoo is the first question I might ask is, is it certified by the ACA? Not because that is the only thing that matters, but because if it is, it does answer certain questions. There's been basically an audit by a third party of their internal practices that the average person could not answer the question just by looking into it. So that is what is helpful about B Corp is they do have a big scorecard. I personally found their website extremely difficult to navigate. Like they had the scorecards, but when you're actually looking at what the standards are, it was pretty inscrutable to like the average human being. I didn't spend too much time on it. What I found interesting as I was looking through some of the scores was I didn't know what all of the numbers were out of. So it sure. was giving me a number <laughs> for different categories. And I'm like, what's what was the maximum that you could get here? Because I'm a little confused. Yeah, it looks at um, the environment. It also looks at social practices. So um, for example, what are your labor conditions? What communities are you impacting and how much do you actually talk to those communities? So it's not just like, who are your financial stakeholders, but who's the stakeholder and who's making your things or who's impacted by the the local decisions that you're making. And then also financial, because there's some financially sketchy stuff that you could be doing. <laughs> Um, that again, not my area of expertise, but it's something that, that B lab looks at when they're looking at a company to be certified as a B Corp. There are over 5,000 certified B Corps out there. Um, so it's a pretty big program. Uh, some interesting caveats I saw. So they weigh the, the sort of like positives against also what they consider risks, which might be like the negatives of it. Um, being a B Corp does not equate a company to being some sort of radical force for social or environmental change. It doesn't mean they're not that, but just seeing B Corp doesn't necessarily mean that they are. For example, the B Corp structure has allowances for fossil fuel industries and factory farming in the Amazon when they meet certain requirements. I don't know if like the their bar matches my bar. Right. And part of that is I can't look at their business in that sort of in-depth way. But like we all have our own sort of ick factor, I feel like, that we we have yeah. to deal with. And so that is something that like I can say, ooh, a B Corp, that is good. It doesn't mean like all questions answered, no more questions to be had. Sure. But I think that's a good thing to know about yourself and different people yes. are going to have different places where they want to set that bar and that might change over time as they mm -hmm. learn more and that sort of thing. But I think, yeah, a B Corp is doing some of that homework for you. Yes. There might still be more things that you want to look into. Yes. But again, third party auditing system that has some clout and some actual standards that these people have to report. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I found on their website was that 87% of Patagonia's clothing um, line is fair trade sewn. Fair trade is another one of those certifications that I'm like, what does that mean? Feels fair greenwashy. <laughs> it, well, what it reminds me of looking at it was back when we talked about sustainable forestry mm -hmm. and we talked about the FSC certification process. And back then I remember saying like, this all just feels like, how do you do that? How do you right. track through all of this, it just feels so complicated to me. That's what I feel about this fair trade certification. I understand the the sort of goals of it, and it's a, a really good thing that it's trying to do. I just don't understand detailed level enough about how the whole process works. 
Yeah. I still don't feel like I know all of those details, but I did look, cause I wanted to know what are we deciding is fair trade? Because a lot of garment workers make like dimes per hour. So are we just saying they get a quarter per hour and that's considered fair trade? Like, what does that mean? What sort of conditions are we talking about? So um, I guess to use the label fair trade, it's almost like a trademarked label that you have to get the exclusive right to be able to put on your clothing. It costs more money and the workers in the factory get to decide what how that extra money is used which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's like a community fund type yeah. thing, correct? So this yes. so there's an extra cost. Like you said it's more expensive to have this fair trade label, but that extra money goes to the community development fund. Right. Of, right? It can be used in a lot of different ways. I guess the people who work at the factory I think they elect people like it's a democratic Mm -hmm. process. So they elect representatives who get to choose how that money is spent. So it could be a community resource like a healthcare center or childcare center in their community, because a lot of these garment factories are in places where they don't have that sort of infrastructure. Um, It can also be decided to be given out to the workers as a cash bonus because we all need money. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you know how to spend your money that's best for you rather than taking a blanket solution for it. So that is something that Patagonia's line is not all fair trade, but a very large portion of their clothing is fair trade. And that is designed not just for the environment, but for the workers and the conditions and their compensation. So that's another system. I feel like I first heard of fair trade under like fair trade coffee. Yes. Yep. That's one. I, I, I sort of think of fair trade for some reason more as a food type of or I I thought of it in relation to food more I also thought of it in relation to sort of the the social like human rights type of thing more so than the environment but they have commitment and and of course those are very interrelated Mm -hmm. Uh, but they also do have a commitment to to both proper working conditions as well as environmental sustainability yeah and I think that you know as environmentalists the people who live in the environment we have to think about those things too. Absolutely. So the next thing that you can find on their website is a project called 1% for the planet. Have you heard of this before, Sarah? I sure have heard of this one as well. And this is more like, I think they describe it as almost like a business membership type thing, right? Where businesses can join. Mm -hmm. And basically it is what it sounds like. It's a commitment for these companies. They pledge to donate 1% of their I don't know how you say it. These words are all all different, but profits or whatever, whatever it is. I'm pretty sure it's actually revenue. I don't know what the which difference is. is between- okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause that's kind of important. So profits are what you get after you like, okay, you've earned all your money and then you subtract out all of your costs. So it is a much smaller number than your revenue, yeah. which is all the money that you bring in. And I believe from my research on this website that it's actually 1% of the revenue. I believe you. Uh, so, but, but yeah, so that's the commitment. It's in the title. Um, so they'll donate 1% towards environmental groups. And I believe they have environment, like specific environmental partners that they can donate through too. Yeah. I don't know how picky they are with their partners because there's, I think thousands, because yeah. you can go on their website and you look up 
a cause. So I just went orangutans because I wanted to know. <laughs> and most of the orangutan uh, foundations that I'm familiar with were listed on there. So what it does is actually was co-founded by Yvonne Chouinard. Yeah. So like, this is an initiative that he helps start and it gets companies to pledge this, but it also helps them connect to these organizations so that their money is going towards something we might consider more legitimate and, and to causes that might be really specific for the, you know, the interests of the people running the company. If they want to find orangutans or elephants, great. But it also does issues related to climate, food, pollution, water, land, and something else. Cause I put climate twice. <laughs> <laughs> you can find it. You can go to a 1%. Oh, it's wildlife. wildlife. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. We don't want to miss that. (laughs) So yeah, I I guess I kind of glossed over that when I was talking talking about what this is too. Like this was created specifically to increase giving to environmental causes. Mm -hmm. I think it said on their website that only like 3% of all philanthropic giving goes to environmental causes. And they, he, uh, that's through creating this wanted to push that number up which i think is pretty cool uh to me basically unequivocally a good thing like mm-hmm. i don't i i can't find any cynical take on this nope. <laughs> i don't have one it's good and revenue is a number that you can mess with a lot less than profit like if you decide companies can make decisions to look like they have less profits. So they have to pay t- less taxes for example um so it's kind of nice that it's like now nah, whatever money you bring in that's 1% of that is a cost towards the environment. I do believe individuals can join as well, right? Yeah. So you have to donate 1% of your income. Yeah. It, they're the partners they consider are like high impact partners too. So it, they're, they're trying to help vet your options Mm -hmm. and give you a description of all your options that are out there. So yeah, good thing. Good things that we like. Um, those are sort of the certifications that they have. The other thing is that if you look at their materials, they give you a full list on their website of every type of material that they use in their clothing. It's a very expansive list. And that includes a lot of its own certifications. So they have like a certified sustainable or maybe not sustainable, but ethical down because down comes from birds. That's what's make your coat fluffy. You got your puffer jackets. So they have like a specific standard thing for that. They have both organic cotton, which I think they use exclusively other than regenerative cotton, which is a different <laughs> certification. They have increased their polyester use to being... I think mostly, if not all, recycled polyester instead of which we have talked about comes from fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. So they really go through all of this sourcing. You can really look at okay when I'm when I look at a item of clothing that I'm seeing, I normally see like some sort of blend, like oh it's this much cotton and this much polyester, and you might have a preference from how it feels or how you know quality it holds up, but sometimes it's hard to really understand the environmental impacts. And their list in there goes pretty deep into like, this is the pros and cons of each of these different things. And this is how we've reduced our carbon emissions doing this sort of way or our wastewater. This is how much fertilizer is used on cotton compared to the amount that the U.S. produces. They're going to be cherry picked statistics to a certain extent because they're, again, trying to 
convince you that they are good. They also do a fair amount of like, we know we can do better. So we're still trying to improve this. It really is pretty cool. Just as you've been talking, I was kind of scrolling through some different things on their website and really almost everything that you click on in any part of their menu is going to have some sort of environmental goal or message or something to it whether it's, you know, like you were just saying, so those materials that they're using or what their causes are. They have a link for how you can be active in your own community. It's, yeah, it's it really is pretty impressive the amount of stuff you can find on their website. Yeah, that's mostly my, like, Patagonia as a general company sort of situation. I want to, like, this is a weird thing. I want to encourage you to go check out their website just so you can see what we're talking about. This is not an endorsement to buy Patagonia things, but this is an endorsement to say Patagonia actually seems to be a company that is doing some of the actual work that it would take to convince me that they were doing good things. <laughs> right. I Yeah, we're not. I mean, don't go buy anything, especially if you don't need anything. But I do think that all of this going into what we're actually going to talk about with the recent news story, these are all important things. Looking at all of these these things that they are a part of and things that they do are things that help me to feel positive about the recent news story that we're going to talk about. All right. So when it broke, did you like get a news alert or did you like, did it pop up on your recommended? Oh, I saw it on Twitter, which is just about the worst place to find any news. Twitter is a horrible, horrible place. I get on Twitter for sports and for the podcast and even just those things, the amount of just horrible things takes me about 60 seconds of being on Twitter to be just forever depressed. Uh, So, but that's, that is where I saw it, where it it popped up as I opened Twitter. So I just immediately, rather than being able to even sort of reflect on this at all and think, oh, how cool. I was immediately like thrust into arguments and Uh, stuff. So short form argument headline mm-hmm. only conversations yes all right well let's Not start productive. start with yeah um the headlines for this interesting because that you had such a like not productive experience looking at the arguments in the comments if you looked at the news sources on this they almost all had the same exclusively positive take about yes. w- the news article which is that this year Yvonne Chouinard, the owner of Patagonia, donated the company to, quote, save the planet. Like, that's basically the headlines. To to fight climate change. Earth is our only shareholder. Earth is our only shareholder. That's, like, literally on the front page of the website. And to be clear, Patagonia was a private company. It's private, company, yeah. So it was not publicly traded. In part, my understanding is because then you would have to cater to those shareholders. And he wanted to be very specific with where he was giving his money. And they they had given so much money already to the environment. And so I think, you know, that was that he wanted to be a private company so that they could give to environmental causes as, as they thought fit. Uh, so just FYI, but so that is kind of funny that that's, that's the headline is Earth is our only shareholder. Now. Yes. So Yvonne started this, like 50 years ago he's 83 or 84 now 
So he is making an end of life plan. What happens after I'm gone? Um, So the breakdown is, is that he did donate all of his ownership of the company. So he no longer really owns Patagonia and he donated it split two ways. One is the Patagonia Purpose Trust, which gets 2% of the company, but it's the voting share of the company. I And I think that his family is tied, like his family is part of that, right? Yes. So the two organizations that he had, like the, the Patagonia Purpose Trust and the Holdfast Collective, from my understanding, did not exist until this that was this my decision was made. Yeah. So these are not, he's not donating it to the nature conservancy. These right. are new organizations. So the Patagonia purpose trust gets 2% of the company, but it's the voting share. So if you own stock in a company, you generally don't get to vote for anything, but there are people who own enough of the company or own specific parts that get to vote or be on the board, etc. cetera. Um, so according to board sports source, <laughs> a sports website, it exists to create a more permanent legal structure to enshrine Patagonia's purpose purpose and values. It will ensure that it is never, uh, there's never deviation from the intent of the founder and to facilitate what the company continues to do best, demonstrate as a for-profit business that capitalism can work for the planet. So uh, spin. Yeah. <laughs> spin on that one. But yeah, basically it's, it's a, this is all Chenard's family. His children are part of it. His children are staying on the board. Um, all the people who are currently on the board, the CEO, they're all staying, but this helps enshrine like i don't know exactly what legal parameters they're going to be setting up because none of this has been detailed um but they seem to be wanting to make it so that even after his children die or maybe he has like one evil grandchild or something (laughs) (laughs) some like scrooge mcduck little like kid comes coming up um that they can't then just be like you know what i know grandpa really liked the earth but they're screwed anyway so we're gonna just make money (laughs) so um that's really what that is trying to do the second part which owns 98 percent of the company now is the holdfast collective and it is a new 501c4 nonprofit that will receive all the excess profits from patagonia so that's basically all the money they don't reinvest into the company so they've put in some caveats i mean reinvest in the company often becomes like improve some sort of factory or infrastructure um pay all of your employees but even things like have a little extra bank account in case another pandemic happens and we have some sort of way to help in an emergency um but all of the excess profits are going to this collective and that is estimated to be about a hundred million dollars a year it's a lot of money that's a lot of money <laughs> The Holdfast Collective has no website or really anything <laughs> available about it. <laughs> but one thing we do know about it is that it it's classification as a 50C4. So 501C4. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um 501C3 is your general average nonprofit designation. The 4 means that they can donate to political causes. So that makes it a little different than maybe your like local animal shelter for example and this was the hardest thing for me this was not the thing that people were debating about on Mm -mm. twitter really when i saw (laughs) the thing but this when i found this this was probably the thing for me that i don't like but not it's not because of this specifically because as we've just said i feel like 
Chouinard and the company have this legacy of showing that they really do care about what they say they care about. And they really do have the best of intentions of wanting to protect the planet. I just get uncomfortable with companies and politics. You should be. And that's just a thing that I don't like, but it is a thing that exists in our country and yes uh, you know so it's a thing that i i've always been uncomfortable with before this it's not really related to this decision but uh but yeah that that was the part that i was like oh man <laughs> uh we're, we're gonna talk more about it but i i agree and i think all citizens of the united states who are not benefiting directly from being in this particular class of people should not like this particular aspect but you are also bringing up a good point that like it exists so we have to live in a world where it exists now because Chenard's family basically is the patagonia purpose trust they had to pay 17 million dollars in taxes to receive this gift so like if you inherit somebody's house after a certain amount of money you have to pay taxes um so that way we don't just pass on all of our stuff to all of our generations just because great 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 grandpa was rich doesn't mean that you get to keep all his stuff so chenard basically said that there were a couple paths that they could take so um one option this is a quote from him. One option was to sell Patagonia and donate all the money, but we couldn't be sure a new owner would maintain our values to keep our team of people around the world employed. Again, a certain amount of spin on there, but totally I, fair. I follow. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense to me. Another path was to take the company public. What a disaster that would have been. Even public companies with good intentions are under too much pressure to create short-term gain at the expense of long-term vitality and responsibility. That I 100% agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, the finances don't really like long-term gains. They like the short-term gains, especially when we're looking at like the life of a human being versus the life of the planet. Like there, those are different timelines that people are working on from the environmental goals that Chenard is working on. So yeah, those he, he outlined those as the other options. So they decided to come up with a third option, which is this one. Um, where he could preserve his purpose and what he wanted after he died and make sure the company continued to do do good. So when you look at all the news articles from the New York Times to these sporting magazines to basically everyone, they're almost all good. (laughs) Like it might as well, they quote a lot from him. It might as well just been out of the Patagonia boardroom. There's not a lot of criticism that I could find from major news outlets about this decision. I was like, great. When I was first writing this outline, I was like, a good billionaire doing good things, a good company, like this is good things. Um, But I did find one, and I would say a pretty important take that helped me temper my view, not necessarily sour it entirely, but temper it. And that is from Mr. Adam Conover. Sarah, are you familiar with Adam Ruins Everything? I so I had heard of that before, but had zero familiarity with it. I didn't really know what it was. I was like, "This is a TV show. Is this who is this person?" Like, I really, I've I just sort of heard of it in passing. It doesn't really feel like my thing in general, just based on the name alone. That's not <laughs> something I want in my life. But I did find this video very quickly after you sent me this outline 
partially because I was trying to find an alternate take on it just to help me learn more about what was going on here. I did not watch the full video. I perhaps should have finished it, but I watched a couple of minutes. I and we'll talk through I'm assuming what he says and kind of yeah feelings of it but I just got frustrated <laughs> with him really quickly because it does just feel like he's he's overly cynical about things and maybe that's just me reading too much into the Adam Ruins Everything title but he's just a little over the top for me a little too much a little only focus on the negative for me from the couple minutes that I watched. So, so the thing I liked about, you can find this video on his YouTube channel. It's not part of his Adam Ruins Everything TV show. So he had a TV oh, show. Oh, it is a TV show. Okay. It is I, a TV I, show, I but most people consumed it through like five to eight minute videos on the internet. Okay. And I think he has a podcast as well okay. where he would expand upon things. As someone mostly only consuming the stuff he, that was on the internet, the short videos, it is... I, I struggled with it because it did lack a little bit of nuance. Um, the one that like got me was about trophy hunting, which is basically saying that like, you know, people who say all trophy hunting's bad are wrong. Um, not all tro- trophy hunting's bad. Um, having a five minute clip about that to me, I was like, oh, you're missing so many things. <laughs> Now, apparently he does much more in-depth things and he talks to experts like this is basically him fact checking lots of things. And there's certain and I do cr- appreciate that on, yeah. a, on, on, on that level. The other thing is like uh, I watched a video that maybe this is less my area of expertise, which was Adam's ruins everything weddings where he was talking about how, you know, there's there's a lot of PR about how you have to have a diamond ring and really that's not as ancient a tradition Mm -hmm. as you think it is it was invented by this jewelry company in like the 30s so like basically saying we should be taking a critical eye at a lot of marketing campaigns that are given to us and that's a really valuable thing that should be out there yeah I, I think maybe that's cool I think I would like him more I think it's more just sort of the tone and style that I struggled with that I couldn't oh, take well, and and, yeah. and as you were saying <laughs> that I think that it misses some of the the nuance a little bit this particular video is about 20 minutes long and it's on this very narrow subject and mm-hmm. so I appreciated it and watching the whole thing I think is valuable because it gives a little bit of context about why Adam is particularly critical of this move despite uh, like the effects of it maybe not being something that he has as much issue with. So basically he's generally critical of this reluctant billionaire brand that Chenard has cultivated. I guess like, you know, he's famous for being very frugal and driving a Subaru, et cetera, et cetera. Apparently this is actually sort of a PR move invented back in the Gilded Age by the Carnegies to be like, don't flaunt your wealth, make everybody love you for building things. I mean, uh, yeah, but (laughs) is your other option to be a I don't know, extravagant jerk. Yeah. I don't know. So that that was part one that just kind of threw me. I was just like, man, let the guy do what he wants. Because you're you are gonna have people and you're gonna have environmentalists who say, Yeah, you can't you can't be environmentally friendly and be rich. Like those two things just don't go together. And I just can't I can't go there. I'm sorry. Like I just 
I where because where do you draw the line? Like I have more than I need. I am mm-hmm. not a rich person, but people live on less than I do, and not, you know, so it's just hard for me to. It's not that. It, it's not that clear of an issue, I think. So I don't. That wasn't a great place to start for me in terms of criticisms of this. Sure. He bookends it by talking about the Walmart family. So basically, there's a town in Arkansas where they, the Walton family has the Walmart headquarters and they have like a huge art museum they built and they have a Walmart museum there about the founder and basically like outline, look, he just drove a pickup truck and this is his humble office. And it's a PR move for people to feel like these people are their family. Um, And for him, the problem is not necessarily that like this is how they live their lives, but that the Walmart corporation has done some really bad things to like downtown America and small, small businesses. And so when does this conversation about how this billionaire lives their lives start to obscure what the actual impacts of how they made their money in the first place impacted all these other people. And for Chenard, that's not really an issue. It is that other people who maybe we don't agree with politically or value wise also use this same sort of uh, technique to obscure the more complicated nature of it. And that's really, I think the thesis of this is that he doesn't actually have as much of a problem. He has one big problem with what Chenard did in particular. He has a bigger problem with the fact that this is possible for anybody to do, whether they're giving it to the planet or we can all think of some sort of cause that some people think are, is charitable that like we wouldn't want people to give a bunch of money to. Like I'm a very left-leaning individual, but if someone was like, and then all the money will go to PETA, which is what I would consider probably to the left of where I'm at, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily be happy about that because I don't think PETA is an ethical nonprofit you know, thing. And that's his issue is like left or right that- People can do this. And I think that that's fine if you want to raise that as a separate issue, that if that's something like this just shouldn't be like we need to change this structure somehow of how that works. Fine. But there are a lot of things like that in in life, you know, and I to me, I just don't want that to cloud this issue of I think this is, a again, largely a good thing. Politics aside. Right. Which we know I don't I don't enjoy that aspect of it but i think that you know you you don't have to discard and i know that's not necessarily what he was doing but i just think you you don't have to necessarily discard this thing that could be really good for environmental projects moving forward um because of the possibility or the the different possible ways that other people could use it it just doesn't yeah, he doesn't there are necessarily... a lot of things in life again that are like that too, you know? And yeah. I well, so one of the things that he talks about, the his like I think actual problem with what Chenard did, other than the fact that other billionaires have done actually the same exact thing, except yeah. for done it for things that we wouldn't necessarily consider as charitable. The two kind of elements of it is one, by splitting up the company in this way. It allowed him to avoid his children paying $1.2 billion in taxes. And this is what the Twitter arguments were about. <laughs> when I saw. Yeah. Now, 
a disclaimer, I don't know that they have $1.2 billion in ta- like in monies that they could pay. I don't know anything of really about these people. The thing, no one likes paying taxes, but the reality is, is that taxes are about as close as like the democratic pool of money that we get to decide because we elect people who get to decide where that money goes versus like, let's say Shannard didn't care about the environment. He cared about the ballet. Like this all money would go to the ballet, a very niche thing versus going to something that might be able to fund underfunded schools by having a bigger, mm-hmm. you know, pot of money. So, um, so he had an issue with that. I do have an issue with the fact that we don't know much about this Holdfast Collective, for example. Like, it's a nonprofit, but are his children just going to sit on the board of that too? And as a CEO of a nonprofit, there's lots of CEOs of nonprofits that still make like millions of dollars a year. So is all of that $100 million going to go to the environment or is it going to also go to paying a salary to his children? Or, or whoever, if there's a high paid CEO there, like what, we don't know enough about what this corporation or this nonprofit does because it has no history to know exactly how that money is going to be used. Yeah. Like that's my question mark. Yeah. That's, I have that same question to me uh, when I was reading about this and trying to figure out who, who the heck these, these (laughs) what what these companies were. Yeah. So, but the tax thing fine okay whatever i guess they they didn't hide it you know that that they did it this way they still paid 17 million dollars in taxes which is granted a lot less than 1.2 billion or whatever but i yeah so i don't get it i i have questions but to me i think that's I'm not lauding him as the savior of the world. This is not going to be all that we need to protect the planet. All of our problems are not solved. He's not a saint. But I also don't think we have to throw the whole thing out because of those things. It will be interesting to see how this develops. It will be interesting to see what happens. I do feel like looking at Patagonia's website and all of the information that they have on there, I hope that they will continue to be very transparent about what money they're spending where and what people are getting paid and and all of that. So I just, I think it, I think it was a cool thing by a guy who I think really cares about the environment. And it's, wasn't perfect he's not perfect it wasn't you know we we called it unprecedented in the beginning i gather from that adam ruins everything video that it's perhaps more common in other parts of the world done too um so but i i just i think it's a cool thing that's where i'm at (laughs) i it, it frustrates me that people Again, I think there's middle ground. I don't think we need to laud it as the be-all, end-all and the best thing that's ever happened. I also don't think that we need to tear it down into the depths and be like, you know, these people are hypocrites and this is actually a terrible thing, you know, for yeah, or whatever. I think there's a middle ground. <laughs> I think I, st- I still think it's a cool thing to do. It's a cool thing to do. He didn't Mm -hmm. like he could have made a lot of money doing something else. It's a cool thing to do. Hopefully that this keeps I don't know that like the other option of giving his to his children seems like it still would have probably kept the company true to its values 
you know, because at least for the life of his children. Right. right, I guess. I don't know if like you were talking about, maybe there's just this is just a longer term. Right. Safeguard situation than just straight out giving it to his kids. I don't know. Yeah. Um, above our heads to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good. I, I do think we need to resist idolizing sure. this person as any, like you said, he's not a saint, but he did a really cool thing that he could have not done. And um, luckily in this case aligns exactly with what we would really like things to be doing, which is protecting the planet. There really is this issue in the U.S., and this is something that Chenard can't tackle, and this is not something that, like, generally we can ignore, which is what we've brought up already, that massively wealthy people get to influence political action. Just because we don't like it also doesn't necessarily mean we can wish that like, you know, I don't, I, not to, to play sides, but like, let's say there's a pro environment and an anti environment side. If the anti environment side is willing to spend billions of dollars to keep crapping on the environment, I don't necessarily want the pro environmental side to opt out of trying to influence <laughs> politics just because I don't like it. Like, yeah. if it's happening, I guess I kind of want my guys to be in the game <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, I don't want that to be happening at all because no one should have an outsized influence on the environment. And what this will result in is Chouinard's children or whoever's associated with this nonprofit that can influence politics. They are going to be courted by, they will become special interest groups. They, Mm -hmm. They will be courted by politicians. Politicians should be beholden to all of us equally. Yes. And not particularly to particular people that being said if they're gonna be i guess i'm glad that these guys are like (laughs) out there (laughs) it's so hard yeah it is we live in an imperfect world um i'm i'm glad that there's gonna be more money going towards the environment right i guess and that's that for me right now that's the bottom line for this there are questions there are things that i wish were different but i support planet earth getting some more donations here hopefully. getting some cold hard cash thrown <laughs> its way <laughs> is there any closing thoughts um no i i think in addition to all of that i think i really like you're talking through those other certifications too so as we are tra- looking forward to to trying to be responsible consumers, keeping all of those things in mind. So beyond just this Patagonia story, you know, keeping in mind those other things, the 1% for the planet and B Corp companies, all of those things, fair trade, remembering to, to make that part of our lives as consumers moving forward. All right. Well, on that note, stick around. We're going to come back with our take home. All right, and we are back with our challenge of the week. Each week, Sarah and I assign you something to do related to this week's topic to help do some action, to make some change, either within your life or out in the world. And this week, I wanted to take some of those principles that we talked about earlier, some of those certifications, some of those things we talked about, about why we maybe trust Patagonia a little bit more than other companies because they are walking that walk. Take some of that information 
and see where your other companies lie. <laughs> I have here, look at your favorite fashion company. And I was like, what's my favorite? I don't have one. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a favorite fashion company, but as Sarah and I talked about, you interact with corporations every day. So you can go with the place you got your last piece of clothing from if you need to, whatever floats your boat, look at a fashion company and see what boxes they might check off in being sustainable. How does their website compare to Patagonia's? How transparent are they about their supply chains? What sort of certifications do they have? And if you're finding that you don't really like what you're seeing, maybe you can look at some comparable brands that maybe have a better track record, or maybe you can contact them and let them know that you were disappointed. Yeah. Or do both. I, yeah. I think that's really good is to look at look at Patagonia's website, look at company of your choosing's website to see what they have. Because you can also reverse, like you can search on the B Corp website Mm -hmm. for clothing companies or whatever. I think you can do that on the fair trade website too, Mm because I I did it with the B Corp and was kind of fun to see the names that I recognized or people that are companies that I've shopped with before. So it's nice to see that too. But yeah, so if you're looking for an article of clothing or a food item or whatever, you can see what pops up by doing that sort of reverse search on those websites. Yeah. Real off the wall example. We've talked about diva cups before you got your period cup. You can buy all sorts of brands of diva cups out there. Like there's a bunch of different kinds and they can just be from whatever level ethical company you want. But (laughs) a friend Rebecca had had, um, recommended SALT to me, S-A-A-L-T. And one of the things she said to me was like, they're B Corp. And I was like, oh, yes. Like I knew what that meant. I didn't. Sorry, Rebecca. Thanks for (laughs) for educating me. But then I I was like, what is a B Corp? I have to understand. And they do a lot of really cool stuff for, you know, women's Mm -hmm. hygiene and sanitation in other countries that don't have as good infrastructure. And so I decided when I needed a replacement one to buy it from that company instead of going with the cheapest one, which is what I did before. So these are, are things that you can start to inform yourself a little bit more about where you're making these choices from and just be thoughtful as consumers. Love it. Thank you, Casey. You're so good at these just timely episodes on top of it. Hopefully that provides folks listening with maybe a little bit more context that about uh, this than what they maybe saw in the headlines. Yeah. Tell us your thought in like not a Twitter rant form, please. Gosh. <laughs> Sarah, if they want to tell us their thoughts, where can they find us? I mean, you can find us on Twitter, (laughs) but I don't really tweet that often because of aforementioned Twitter struggles. But we are there, a Greener Podcast. We're on Instagram at a little greener pod. We're our Facebook, a little greener podcast. And you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. We are also on YouTube, at least our newer episodes are. If you would like to use captions, you can find us there. You can comment on those too if you want. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.